0: Gen Z is on the cusp of being nearly 30% of the workforce. And today we're talking about the power and the possibility of this newest generation at work. But it's not a conversation about what's right or what's wrong with Gen Z. It's really about understanding so all generations can work better together. Welcome to Work Better, a Steelcase podcast where we think about work and ways to make it better. I'm your host, Chris Congdon, and I'm with our producer, Rebecca Charbowski.
1: Hi, Chris. Do you think we should just tell everybody what generation we're from?
0: No. (laughs) I will admit that I am not a member of Gen Z and-
1: Well, me neither. (laughs) Okay. Uh, So we get to learn today from Dr. Jean Twangy. Jean has spent her entire academic career studying generational differences. She's a professor of psychology at San Diego State University. Uh, She's written lots of books and has authored more than 180 scientific publications. Her work is really steeped in a lot of research, and her most recent book is about all of the generations, and it's simply called Generations.
0: Yeah, she is amazingly prolific. So I think this is a conversation you'll want to tune into. And after we talk to Jean, we're going to be joined by Keith Bujak. And he's a researcher at Steelcase who recently completed a study about Gen Z in the workplace. So stay with us for that.
1: And if anybody knows someone who wants to have a better day at work, we're going to really appreciate it if you would just share this podcast with them. So, Jean, thanks for joining us today.
2: Thanks for
0: having me. Some people might know you from your, your previous books, Generation Me and iGen, but I'd love to hear a little bit about your, your new book, Generations. Can you talk about the research that went into this book? It feels like it's kind of
2: your magnum opus. It really is. Um, so my previous books were about one generation each, and this one is about six all six living American generations, you know, myths and realities, um, and just drawing from as much data as I could get my hands on. So the previous books, you know, looking at young people, I mostly was drawing from about four data sets. Now it's up to about 30. Um, so it's, it's very broad in looking at all the generations and as many topics as, um, you know, I thought were would be interesting to people. So everything from politics to mental health um, to birth rates and then, of course, the workplace.
0: Yeah, you know, it feels like people never grow tired of talking about generations. We're always fascinated in somewhat either self-discovery or trying to understand our kids or our colleagues. So let's talk about Gen Z for a little bit because I think uh, people are really interested in this group of people who are in this you know, 11 to 28-ish years old uh, cohort. And and pretty soon, the next couple of years, they're going to be, I've seen different estimates, but about 30% of the workforce. Um, And that's huge. And you've done so much work with understanding this generation before. It feels like they were interesting to begin with. And then the pandemic came along. And I'm just curious if, They were on a trajectory and this is just part of that? Or did the pandemic really have a strong shift in terms of generational behavior and patterns?
2: I mean, the the pandemic certainly had an impact. However, most of the differences, say between millennials right before and Gen Z Mm -hmm. were already on a certain trajectory before the pandemic hit. It's almost like Gen Z was in dress rehearsal for the pandemic with a lot of the trends. So the trend toward more electronic communication, uh, the trend toward less face-to-face social interaction, trends toward compromised mental health, um, Mm. negativity, you know, a, a lot of these things were already heading in that direction. And then the pandemic amplified the trends rather than changing them.
0: Can we uh, maybe zero in on a couple of the trends that you mentioned? I feel like sometimes Gen Z is a bit of a conundrum, almost like there's kind of different types of behaviors. Like, as you said, like the more electronic kind of communication, but yet we're seeing, at least in the workplace, that they're more likely to show up at work. So I'm just curious, can you tease out a couple of what you think are the big defining characteristics of this
2: generation? I think one of the big things is they're very, very different from the millennials just before them. So millennials grew up in a very optimistic time, a time with a lot of emphasis on the self and positive self-views. And then when you transition to Gen Z being, say, the high school seniors or the college students, it just falls off a cliff there's this very, very clear change um, around the mid you know, 1990s birth years. So the definitions vary, but I define millennials as being born between 1980 and 1994 and Gen Z starting with those born in 1995. And it's very stark because um, I've been looking at generations for a long time. You had the, the other differences say between uh, millennials and, and Gen X, it wasn't such a sudden transition. But from millennials to Gen Z, it's this very sudden transition from optimism to pessimism, from happiness to unhappiness. You know, there's some some positives too, from a huge emphasis on work life balance to a little bit more realism um, about having to put in more time at work um, on the part of Gen Z, at least until 2021. And then that kind of went away, uh, quiet quitting and all of that. So we still have to see how the pandemic, you know, is going to change things. Um, But a lot of these things were there before that.
0: So interesting because uh, I've given birth to both millennials and Gen Z. And I wish I really would have known you when everybody was more in the teenage year because it would have helped me uh, a lot because exactly what you're saying, like I experienced like, just within a five-year, you know, gap uh, of time, how different the experiences were. Like, I, I felt like my my Gen Z son, I've spent a lot more time talking to him about literally survival issues. You know, surviving the pandemic, surviving gun violence, surviving, you know, all kinds of behaviors going on in society. I, I never felt like I had to have those discussions, at least not as early in life, with my millennial kids. Uh, so that's kind of super interesting. Um, so one of the things that you've talked about, I want to kind of circle back to this topic of technology um, that generational change can be influenced a lot by technology. so i'm I'm curious if you could talk more about that in terms of Gen Z. And again, I, as I'd mentioned, you know, like it seems like, Gen Z super comfortable with technology and you know being on screen, being on whatever platform they're using, but at the same time, craving uh, kind of physical presence as well, at least in terms of coming into the workplace. So I'm just curious if you could talk a little bit about the technology and what that, that dichotomy is all about.
2: Yeah, you know, um, a lot of books and theories about generations focus on major events. Mm-hmm. So if we experienced World War II or the Vietnam War or the pandemic at a certain age, that that's why we have generational differences.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: But in writing this new book and thinking about the changes that have happened since the birth of the silent generation, our oldest living generation, mm-hmm. um, born starting in 1925, you know, what's really different about living now compared to living in 1925? And the very obvious answer is technology. That's what's had the biggest difference on our day-to-day lives. And it's not just a technology piece. It also has these downstream effects that technology is why we have more focus on the self and less on social rules because technology lets us do that. It's also why people take longer to grow up and take longer to grow old than they used to. Mm. This is the observation many people make, oh, millennials are taking longer to you know, get married and have kids and settle into careers and Gen Z you know, doing the same. And also that, that Gen Z as teenagers were less likely to have a driver's license and less likely to drink alcohol, less likely to go out on dates. And all that was all, before, even before the pandemic, that was true. Mm-hmm. Longer to grow to adulthood. Um, It's also the explanation for 60 is the new 50. Technology. Yeah. Well, technology has led to this uh, slower pace of life at every stage of the life cycle. And so you think about all all of these effects. That's what really makes generational differences happen. And so for Gen Z, we see all of these effects. We still see it's a different flavor of individualism than for millennials. It's a little less positive, but it's still very much about identity and self-expression and diversity and inclusion. And then with the slower pace of life, we still see that. And then we see the direct effects of technology that um, millennials were the first digital natives. And then Gen Z are really the first social media natives, um, especially for Mm -hmm. current platforms in that they were the first to spend their adolescence in the age of the smartphone. You know, they got a smartphone mm. when they were in middle school or in high school. And for most millennials, that wasn't true. Um, they right. take the internet for granted. So it, it's really changed their viewpoint of so many things, in particular, you know, how to communicate.
0: Mm. And what kind of communication differences do you see?
2: Well, you know, the, the kind of old joke is that the boomer wants to see you in person. The Gen X wants to send you an email. The millennial wants to text you. And the Gen Z wants to submit their resume as a TikTok video. (laughs) Now that takes a little bit, a little bit far, Mm
0: -hmm. but
2: there's, there's some, there's some truth to that too, that it really has, has shifted that way over time. Um, Less in person, much more online communication. And then for Gen Z in particular, um, it's been social media and texting um, I give a lot of talks on college campuses and I hear all the time, they don't read emails. Mm. It's because your emails are boring. So I sort of get it, but <laughs> you do have to recognize, you know, that there is this generational shift that you're going to be much more likely to reach people via text. Um, TikTok is hard because yeah. even though it's very popular, the videos you see are, are curated they're done through the algorithm. Um, so I don't think TikTok communication is necessarily the solution here, but just to recognize, you know, that there are these pretty substantial generational differences in how people are used to communicating.
0: Yeah, that's super interesting because I want to I want to dig into that a little bit in terms of some of the data that we're seeing that you know I I've scratched my head a little bit about and. You know, so when we look at the likelihood to go into the office, for example, everybody assumes that the Gen Z group is less likely to come into the office and that the baby boomers are the people who are there. But we saw just the opposite, that we saw Gen Z coming into the office and then a a really significant drop-off with boomers who, you know, as you said, like, you would think they're more inclined for the kind of in-person communication. And I'm curious what you think is going on there because that feels like that's a little bit of that dichotomy of like, we're more likely to be on technology and you know TikTok is the main form of, of communicating. And yet this other behavior is going on. So what do you
2: make of that, Gene? My guess is that's age instead of generation. Hmm. If you're a young person who is living with a bunch of roommates or in your own apartment, coming into work can be a social occasion. Mm-hmm. If you're married with a bunch of kids at home, then being at home seems a lot easier and more practical, and you don't need going to work as much for your social interaction. Mm -hmm. So it's life stage and age, maybe even more than generation, that's influencing that.
0: That's an interesting perspective on that one. I mean, I think one of the things that I worry about, honestly, is if we do have Gen Z coming into the office, yes, looking for social interaction with peer groups, but also looking to be mentored, looking to learn and to develop. So then, what happens if you know the older generations don't show up? <laughs> you know.
2: Yeah, I mean, that, this is the the challenge that 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 so many um, organizations are are struggling with. You know, how to find that balance with the remote work versus coming into the office. You know, now that we're coming out of the pandemic, and we've realized just how much work can be done efficiently from home. Mm-hmm. But then, how much we also miss. Um, so I think it's going to be a real process of finding that hybrid model of how can we try to keep the things that are great about being there, like mentoring, like socialization, um, while still keeping a lot of the efficiencies of working from home. Mm-hmm. And I, I, think, I think you're absolutely right. We can't make a generational assumption about that right off the bat. It's going to vary depending on a lot of other circumstances, you know, what people are going to favor. Um, but yeah, you do lose a lot. Um with people not being in the office, but then you sure gain a lot of time when you're working from home, potentially.
0: Potentially. If you don't end up spending all of that time at home <laughs> on on Zoom meetings or, you know, just just doing even more work. Right. And so that kind of leads me since since we've we started talking about the hybrid model of working. And, you know, there's flexibility that is inherent within that. We're allowing people to make decisions about where they do their work. You know, I professionally grew up in a time where it just wasn't a question. It's like you went to work. That was synonymous, you know, the office and going to work. the two things were synonymous and and now they're they're not. And so with that level of flexibility, what i'm I'm curious about from your perspective is if you have that kind of level of flexibility, but then you've also got a generation of people who maybe feel less confident making decisions, you know, or less independence. What are some things that leaders and organizations need to be aware of when they think about this issue of of flexibility and yet people who might be making decisions differently?
2: Yeah, it is an important thing to understand about the generational transition. So for younger Gen Z in particular, they just didn't get as much experience with independence and decision making when they were younger. And that was true before the pandemic. And it's even more true now, mm-hmm. because when you're a teen or a young adult, a lot of the ways you develop that ability to be independent, and make decisions is by being out of the house.
0: Mm -hmm. And
2: getting a flat tire and figuring out what to do, or, you know, just being in certain situations where, you know, you have to just kind of figure things out on your own. Mm -hmm. And with partially because of having smartphones, but mostly of just not being out of the house this generation hasn't figured that out as much. Mm-hmm. They, they may know how to you know navigate things on Instagram and know the right emoji for every situation, <laughs> but they haven't had as much experience in the so-called real world, the meat world, yeah. of in-person actual experiences where you have to learn how to make those decisions. And, and people do grow up more slowly now, and there's a lot of advantages to that. Mm-hmm. But the downside is a 22-year-old or a 23-year-old has not had the same amount of independent life experience as they had 20 years ago, That's just the reality, Um, they just don't. And so you have to realize that. And there's also been changes in education, like no child left behind me, things much more structured. Mm -hmm. Uh, I have noticed this as well um, as a college faculty member, that we're asked to give a lot more structure and a lot more instruction about exactly what students are supposed to do at every step. And I teach upper division students. So I'm seeing them probably six months before they might, you know, take an entry-level career position. Mm-hmm. And that's what I see a lot. You gotta tell me exactly what I need to do. Mm-hmm. Well, in the workplace, you're not always told exactly what you need to do step by step by step. That's right. So that's the challenge, I think. It's good for you know managers to have that understanding. Understanding is good. It's not criticism to understand generational differences. It's understanding. It's empathy, knowing that that's where they're coming from, and that it's probably different from when you were that age, mm-hmm. and knowing that they may expect that structure. So at first, maybe give them some of that structure because eventually, yeah, they do need to make those independent decisions. Right. Um, that's just the way it is. They may not be able to do that at first, and that shouldn't be a complete surprise. You know, just given the way they grew up. Mm-hmm. Following along
0: that line. You know, we've also seen in, in your work and the work of others this idea that Gen Z is maybe less likely to be going above and beyond, you know, that they're they're going to do what they're asked to do, um, but they they may not be, you know, kind of in that mindset of, well, I'm gonna put in these extra hours or I'm gonna do this extra project, that they're gonna try and define kind of more work-life boundaries and a greater likelihood to change jobs, you know, to say that I'm gonna leave the company I'm working for in the next six months. And so similarly, you know, like you just gave us a good piece of advice of thinking about Gen Z members of our teams. What would you say to leaders about that? Like, how do you build that sense of loyalty within this generation, maybe in ways that we, we didn't need to in the past?
2: Yeah. I mean, we have to acknowledge that this emphasis on work-life balance has been around for a while. It really started with Gen Xers. It built with with millennials. And then for a little bit there, at least as 18-year-olds, Gen Z was actually more likely to say, I'm willing to work overtime. You know, work is going to be a central part of my life compared to millennials at the same age. And then that kind of fell off a cliff in 2021. So we don't know if that's a blip. Mm. Um, we'll have to see. You know, when we get the data for the next couple of years, there's a little bit of a lag in that um, whether that returns. Um, but I think that, that fundamental recognition that hard work is necessary is there. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: And I think that can be brought out. Um, Gen Z is a very practical generation. Um, their expectations are lower, which has some advantages and disadvantages, Mm -hmm. but they have been told their whole lives, you know, in this economy, you better, you got to make it, you either make it or you don't. So you better make Mm -hmm. it. And they have that perspective. They, they know things are competitive. They've been told that for ages. They are willing to work hard. They just have to see that there's a reward. And not a reward two years from now, right. but maybe one a few months away. Mm-hmm. So that's one piece of advice um, that I, I think is really useful is, say, if you have a structure where promotions um, come after two years on the job, change it so it's smaller promotions every six months yeah, so you see more
0: incremental recognition or or something that kind of signals that you're you're getting that that positive feedback through those forms of recognition exactly. Yeah. okay. Another area I want to explore a little bit with you, Jean, is how Gen Z is expressing kind of their unique identities and particularly you know, their values around diversity, equity, and inclusion, sustainability, social justice, et cetera, and really wanting to make sure that their values are represented in their employer's values. And I'm just curious if you've seen examples of companies who are, who are doing this right, or again, you know, what advice would you offer to leaders and organizations who are trying to re- attract this generation?
2: I think this is one of the biggest challenges for organizations right now is that Gen Z and often younger millennials as well um, are sometimes demanding political statements mm-hmm. from companies. It mm-hmm. puts companies in a really difficult position. Mm-hmm. So um, I think a lot of successful companies have realized, well, what we'll do is harness that, take the things that are not as controversial and, and run with those. And that, that can work. Sometimes that's not enough. Mm -hmm. And the younger employees are demanding more. And that's when it gets really, really dicey. Um, I mean, the classic example was uh, Disney, where the CEO said, nope, I'm not going to take a position on this bill in Florida. Uh, The young employees demanded he do so. He did. And then the governor of Florida took their special tax status. So, you know, nobody won. I mean, you could argue nobody won. Yeah. Um, And this is hard. This is where, you know, when you get some of these controversial issues um, it, it gets very, very fraught because things are so polarized right now. So uh, I, I think it really, it really does put put um, company leaders in a in a, in a tough position. But there, you know, there are things that can be done. There are things that um, I mean, using continuing to use Disney as an example, Disney relaxed their rules around employees having tattoos. Mm. That's an example of something where you can meet the generation where they are, and is it really going to do any harm? Probably not. Right. And same thing with you know in, embracing um, policies around diversity and inclusion. If the, if they are done in a way that is truly inclusive and not something um, that uh, ends up you know making some groups feel left out, if it can be done in that yeah, like, just pandering, a, yeah. a winning a winning strategy, right. Um, and it, it's that it's that balance that can be difficult to find, and um, I, I think it's the hardest when it becomes taking political positions.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that is that is a tricky one to try and navigate. I was uh, surprised, pleased, but surprised actually when we were interviewing some job candidates who were all Gen Z, and when I was asking them questions like hey, why would you want to work for Steelcase? You know, I was expecting something that was more about their career, you know, and what path they wanted to take or something like that. And yet everybody wanted to talk about our sustainability initiatives and how they felt really strongly uh, about those, and which was great. I mean, I was glad to, to hear that, but it, it was also really interesting to me because— you know, I hadn't heard that from other job candidates, you know, that it, it was very clear that this was uh, important to to Gen Z in ways that, you know, maybe I hadn't anticipated. So, so, Jean, just, I'd, I'd just like to ask, is there anything else, you know, that we've missed in our conversation or things that you'd say, like, if you knew this one thing or these two things, like, what is it that you think we should really know if you want to try and create a a workplace and a culture that's attractive to this very large group of people.
2: Well, you know, I think there is a a real desire among Gen Z for those in-person relationships. They don't always get those. And when they do get them, and they can kind of get over their anxiety around mm-hmm. those interactions, they, they do find them very fulfilling because that's the human universal mm-hmm. to be able to connect with with others in, in that you know more authentic way. Um, and there is a real desire for mentoring, mm-hmm. for um, wanting that guidance um, that young people have always wanted, but I think this generation really, really needs. Mm-hmm. Um, because they, they have not had as much experience with independence um, and because they have, you know, they do have a close relationship with, with their, their parents. They're very comfortable with the idea uh, of being guided mm-hmm. um, more, much more so than say Gen X was at the same age. They were much more independent and, you know, not as easily led. Um, and, you know, I think that can be a very useful dynamic where young employees want, they want that guidance. And often everybody wins from that situation. They get the guidance that they want. And then you develop that strong relationship and they do excellent work. Mm -hmm.
0: Well, I think that's a a great point for us to, to wrap on, uh, for us to, to think about. So I've really appreciated you taking time Uh, to join us. And, you know, I know everybody is going to look forward to reading your book, Generations, as soon as they can get their hands on a copy. So thanks again for joining us. Thank you. After talking to Dr. Twangy, I really wanted to reach out to my colleague, Keith Bujak, who is not only a principal researcher as part of our Workspace Futures team here at Steelcase, But he's led a really significant body of work around uh, understanding Gen Z in the workplace recently. So thanks for joining me to talk about this a little bit, Keith.
3: Great. Thanks for having me, Chris.
0: I'm glad to be here. I really appreciate it. So she had so many interesting things to say, and I know we could talk for quite some time, but I wanted to zero in on one of the things that she talked about that I found really interesting was this idea that... Uh, Gen Z in particular, maybe didn't get as much experience with um, acting independently and making independent decisions when they were younger. And then the pandemic really had an impact on that. I hadn't really thought about that before. And so in the work that you have been doing, it seems like Gen Z is looking for more opportunities for mentorship and growth opportunities. So those two things kind of jive with each other. So I'm just curious, you know, when she talked about this need for Gen Z to have more structure and guidance, like, what are you seeing, and, and how do you think the workplace could help
3: with that? Sure. Yeah, I really appreciate how Dr. Twangy is thinking about. There's many factors that have influenced Gen Z's ability to make decisions, to mm-hmm. work independently, um, and we're seeing that Gen Z values the workplace as being a way to connect with their leaders mm-hmm. and with their organization. Mm-hmm. So. You know, we ought to consider uh, the way in which community building is supported by the workplace um, to create a sense of connection among all employees. Mm -hmm. So it's not just with each other, but across the org. Um, Right. In a recent global survey, we found that only 28% of Gen Z believe that their workplace completely fosters a sense of community.
0: Oh, that's interesting.
3: So that's an opportunity, right? There's a huge opportunity yeah. desi- to design better spaces to build that community. Uh huh. So, just to illustrate this point, just a little a little story. So, one during one of our recent customer visits, we talked to a facility manager.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Every day, he observed his junior younger employees getting together leaving the office, walking across the street to get coffee. Oh, interesting. And when he brought that to his leadership, they said, how can we help support some of that relationship building in our own spaces? It was an opportunity to bring better coffee in-house, to have community spaces and neighborhood cafes where they could gather and Mm -hmm. connect. So we really love that opportunity um, to think about new ways, new spaces. Uh, And we also really like the fact that um, the facility managers and the leaders were observing their own employees and thinking about new things that they needed. Mm-hmm. So they were reflecting, kind of iterating as they as they went.
0: Yeah. You know, I think it's a really interesting point that you're making, that it's both kind of the physical space, but also, you know, amenities that maybe we take for granted, like good food and great coffee. Um, you know, bringing those things together, those two experiences of food and places where you can build relationships like is that feels like that needs to be an ongoing way that we think about the workplace
3: in the way that this particular customer did it was really purposeful and yeah. thoughtful right yeah. it wasn't just build a space but it was to bring in all those as you say all those additional things that would help encourage they these employees wanted to connect over coffee that yeah. was important to them yeah
0: and they want to come in the office too because that was another thing that um You know, some of your colleagues in Workspace Futures found that Gen Z is the generation that's most likely to want to work out of the office, which I think surprised a lot of people, you know, because I think there's this notion that Gen Z are the ones that, you know, want to be like fully remote, but yet it was really interesting that that they wanted to come into the office. And so the other thing that I thought that Jean said that kind of relates to that is the idea of Gen Z wanting to feel like their personal values are reflected in the organization that they work for. And I'm just curious what you think are, like, how does an organization go about signaling some of those
3: values to, to employees? Sure, sure. We found, speaking of that research that we did, we found that actually 75% of Gen Z, has a sense of purpose within their organization. We just thought Mm. that was incredible Mm -hmm. that they're already coming in. They're starting their career. They have this sense of purpose, and they want their organization to reflect that sense of purpose. They want to see that back. Um, So we're looking, Gen Z is looking for organizations that are able to demonstrate that commitment to the values and the purposes that they reflect Mm -hmm. in, in, in as you say, the design of the space. So it might be as simple as selecting some products, carbon neutral products, Mm -hmm. using products that have upcycled plastic material, Mm -hmm. biophilic elements and patterns. Mm -hmm. So it might be as simple as that, but we're also seeing some organizations, in order to solve some of these big challenges that Gen Z care about, so sustainability, Mm -hmm. diversity, equity, inclusion, to make those uh, improvements, you have to connect with partners outside of your organization. Hmm. So it's not just within your company, but thinking about those community partners that can support you. Hmm. What we're finding that some of our, our customers are doing is they're building community spaces that they open up to those community partners. So they invite oh, people from the community into their offices for social events, for networking events, for, for whatever it may be. Okay. Allowing gen z other employees to make connections with those community members and those partners
0: oh that's such a cool idea
3: yep and they're using space to host those connections we're seeing um you know bringing in art from local artists so it's really that space mm -hmm. is really meant to reflect the community that it, it is in to help build some of those relationships
0: so that's interesting i mean that's not only building the community literally with the within the organization but also, you know, with the surrounding communities You know that people work in and live
3: in. Exactly. And so some of these challenges are so complex, there's no way that one organization could do it by themselves. And so they see we have a community partner that could support us in other ways. Um, And Gen Z, we see them bringing their passion and purpose to work. Mm -hmm. They want to be empowered. They want to be supported. uh, They want to help build some of these networks and some of these groups Mm -hmm. to be able to solve these complex problems.
0: That's great. Hey, Keith, thank you so much for joining me today because I know we could talk for a long time about this every everybody's fascinated with Gen Z. Um, So just thanks for spending a few minutes to give us a few ideas about things that we might be able to do to really support this generation, because they're about to be
3: one of the largest generations in the workforce, right? Exactly. Yeah. And we're looking to, uh, you know, really be inspired by them and making sure that we're empowering them and all of us really to, to do our best work. Yeah. Thanks, Keith. Yeah. Thanks, Chris.
0: Thank you so much for being here with us today. And if you enjoyed this conversation, would you share it with a friend or colleague and visit us at steelcase.com research to sign up for weekly updates on workplace research, insights, and design ideas delivered to your inbox. So Rebecca, what's up for next week?
1: Chris, next week, we had the chance to talk to Laszlo Bach. And Laszlo used to lead Google's people operations. So he knows a lot about managing Mm -hmm. people. Uh, He even wrote a book about it called Work Rules. And he co-founded a company called Humu. They help managers create better routines and habits at scale. He's going to give us the inside track on Humu's research into hybrid work and help us with tips on how to go from insight to action.
0: We hope you join us for this conversation And thanks again for being here today. We hope your day at work tomorrow is just a little bit better. Many thanks to everyone who helps make Work Better podcast possible. Our creative art direction is by Erin Ellison, editing and sound mixing by Soundpost Studios, technical support by Mark Caswell and Jose Jimenez. And our digital publishing is by Aurelie Ariano and Jordan Marks.